You're listening to the Resurgent ATL Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. Sweet. Um, this one's going to be a little bit different for me, uh, so bear with me, but I, I, think, uh, I think there's some gold in this for people in here. At least that's the hope. If not, I'll preach to myself. I'm okay with that. I've done it a thousand times. Um, I'm not going to tell. Oh, my, to my, my wallet? Dude, check this out. Uh, so two weeks ago, three, three weeks ago, it's been a long time, Lacey says, it's been a long time. Three weeks ago, I went hunting, uh, on a hunt lease that Kristen and I go to. And, uh, when I got back in the truck that night, I realized now this is ridiculous because all the pockets on my hunting pants zip closed. They have silent zippers on them. You can't even hear them. They zip close, and I always close my pockets. It's just my thing. I, I'm, I, whenever I worship, I put my keys and everything on the ground here. Like, I'm just a creature of habit, and I always close my pockets. I got back to the truck, and you, anybody else, guys, you, right before you get in a car, you always check your back pocket like that to make sure your wallet's still there. Nothing but leg, uh, just because I don't really have much else back there. But... Um, <laughs> Nothing in my pocket, wallet gone, and uh, Chris and I scoured the woods. I had a flashlight run out of batteries in the middle of it, so he gave me his extra one. I mean, we went through it, looked everywhere I went, went back to the gas station we stopped at where we got chips, and asked that guy, and he's like, nope, and everywhere, and then went back out there. It's like an hour drive, which isn't bad in Atlanta. Where we were in California, 10-minute drive, people were like, come on, are you serious? Now here, I'm like, everything's in increments of 30 to 45 to an hour. So it's just a norm. So we took a normal drive back out there <laughs> and, uh, and looked again in the daytime and, I mean, tore things apart, went out there and just searched through, every, recounted every step, could not find it. I went back out again, uh, I get to hunt when I go, um, but I went back out again, <laughs> this isn't all a sad story, and looked again, and went back to the gas station, and the guy's like, sir, I told you, we didn't find a wall, <laughs> I'm like, wow, you're already tired of me, okay, um, and I lost total, any hope, any faith, any anything, Lacey's like, I, the last time I went hunting out there, Lacey's like, it's just gonna appear, it's just gonna appear, and I'm like, babe, it's gone, it is gone. <laughs> I had my social security card in and everything. I know, I thought I'd get you with that. Uh, everything, every, every, everything. Business cards of people that uh, like, are going to be a part of this message today. Um, and then this morning, my wife prayed. She still hasn't given up to this moment. And this morning, she keeps saying it's going to appear. I'm like, babe, it's gone. I even looked online on Amazon for new wallets like that. And this morning, I got a text from a guy who is out there. He's like, found your wallet, bud, because uh, he's out in Heard County. And I'm like, what the heck? Three weeks later, I'm talking grass this tall, trees. I mean, it's not. It, three weeks later, he finds it. And this guy, the guy that found it, is not very physically able to get around either. Like he's got some physical problems that keep him from even being able to walk. We prayed for him a bunch out there. And he goes out and finds it when we scoured the entire, I mean, tore stuff apart. He goes out and finds it. So I had to come back to my wife, who is like my Holy Spirit uh, in physical form. <laughs> if you're married, you know. If you don't know, then I'm praying for you to get married. <laughs> Just not right how often they're right. Um, 
and say, so anyway, I showed her the text. She's like, I told you. So praise report. My wallet got, she said, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah, so, I, and I'm a believer in this stuff. Just when it came to my wallet, I was like, it's gone. Order new cards, order new everything. And uh, yeah, whatever. So I got my, got my wallet back. Come on. Lacey had lost a ring when we moved here the first time. If you don't know, we've moved here twice, from California to here to California to here. And, uh, and the first time, she lost her ring in our little bubble RV that we drove out here with kids and dogs and everything. We called it the pig um, because it drove like one <laughs> just all over the road. And uh, we cleaned that thing top to bottom, tore it apart. I even pulled the edges of the carpet back to see if it had gone down in. Nothing, right? We're getting ready to give the pig back because uh, it was going back to my mom. And um, I went back in there, and I this old story, I want my knife back. Bill Johnson talks about it a lot. Um, but these things that disappear, God just makes them appear in places you knew you looked and everything. So I go back in there, and I'm like, Lord, I want our ring back. I want my wife's ring back. This is a wedding ring. I want my wife's ring back. And I open the door to this the pig, and right in the middle of the freshly vacuumed carpet, it is sitting right on top of this carpet, like, like not down in the carpet, just, just positioned perfectly on top of the carpet right in the middle. I'm like, I run back in the house, babe! Crazy, right? So I should know, I know, I know, but I didn't know. My wallet's back. I want to talk to you today about inheritance. Uh, maybe, it's, maybe I want to talk to you about dreaming inheritance. I don't know where you want to put it. Um, it is now dreams and dreaming, not dreaming in the night. It could be a dream in the night, but because um, God speaks in all different ways. But dreams, like your life dreams, the things that God places in your heart that have to do with the convergence of your calling and your anointing and your favor and all these things coming together. I'm looking through the room and I see people that I know that have this just, just all over them. But your dreams... And I'm starting to see them more as my inheritances than my dreams. Um, we have great friends that are pastors on the coast of California, Jerry, Nancy, Heine. And one of the things that everybody said, oh, in this front row, because they all came from there. And so they know. But Jerry and Nancy Heine, um, one of the things that was one of the most fantastic things I ever experienced uh, watching a family was the fact that her parents... Um, decided that they didn't want to wait till death for inheritance to be given for, to their kids. They wanted to be alive and watch their kids have their inheritance. What an amazing thing to be in a place to be able to do that, first of all, right? And so they gave Jerry and Nancy, which Nancy's their daughter, um, they gave Jerry and Nancy Nancy's inheritance while they were still alive. And they said, we want to watch you spend it. It would be our joy to watch what you do with our inheritance. And so I thought, how cool is that right there? that it's just beautiful and amazing, and it got me thinking around inheritance, and it really got me dreaming around inheritance for my kids, my grandkids, stuff like that. Um, and how many of you know what it's like to dream when you're broke? Come on. Hey, can I tell you something? Platforms are not built by good messages as far as this, this line goes right here. Speaking platforms are not built like big platforms going and, and all the dreams around that are not built by good messages. Platforms are built by faith in the quiet 
times, faith in the dark times, faith in the I don't see it. It's, it's the I will look at my tomorrow as if it is, even though it is not today. You know what I mean? And so, and it's the same with dreams. Like dreams are built. Dreaming really takes traction in the I'm so poor, I'm Poe times, right? Can't afford the OR. I'm just Poe. Like <laughs> dreaming really gets traction really starts to take off when you can learn to visualize and, and, and put steps to and partner with God when there is no possible way for it to happen. Uh, you're quiet. I, I just, I need you to get this. Like, there's not one person on this planet that's been left out of God's dream works, okay? Like, he, he, is, he is a dreamer. He had a dream and he created everything, right? Like it didn't exist. It had never been seen. It wasn't somewhere else. And he thought, I'll duplicate that here. This, none of this existed. God had a dream in his heart. And now he created something like your body is so complicated. All the years of science and medicine, we still haven't figured it out. We have an idea how some things work. And I... I, I full-on appreciate people that are in the medical field and all that. But honestly, like, we don't know the brain. We're just now in these last few years learning that the gut is the brain of your health. Like, there's more memory in your gut than in your brain. There's things happening in your gut. Like, your gut controls all of your health. Your spine, everything is in there. Like, we're just now figuring it out. He had a dream so intricate and so put together that when he said, let there be, look what happened. He's a dreamer. God's a dreamer. God is a beautiful dreamer. He's an amazing dreamer. And his dreams are contagious. And he's created you to be a dreamer. Now, the thing with being a dreamer is this. A dreamer, I, I have, uh, has anybody ever taken strength finders? I love strength finders. Actually, uh, uh, life coaching, I have done, I love, one of my favorite things to do in life coaching is dream coaching uh, around strength finders and doing strength finders and how your strengths go into your dreams and all that. But strength finders, one of my top, so my top strength is strategic and my next strength is futuristic. So I have to, I have to keep my head out of like down the road. I have to pull myself back into reality a lot of the time. Anybody else have that problem? Come on. One person, shut up. <laughs> One hand goes up and reels like, come on now, Jesus. I just break the spirit of whatever that was. No. I have to keep my head out of like down the road. I have to pull myself back into reality. So I'm speaking from that perspective, but I want to speak to the ones that have a hard time dreaming. Because uh, I do know, even though that's me, I do know what it is to have a hard time dreaming. I know what it is to get gut punched. I know what it is to go, you know what, forget it. I know what it is to settle. I know what it is to go, I'd rather be comfortable than go through that again. Anybody? So, so look, I'm, I'm speaking from experience. This path I'm about to tell you was not easy. These are the highlights. This is the Instagram story. <laughs> this, is, this is me posing. <laughs> no, I, I'll, I'll add in some of the fun stuff too. Just joking. Dreaming is in you. Like you were made in the image of the dreamer. 
You were made in the image of the one who, because he had a dream, Martin Luther King Jr. could say, I had a dream. Like, I believe that in the life of the believer, there is no dream that you could have where you're the first one to have it. I believe that every dream that has been put into a heart that is subject to, that is submitted to a good, good father, every dream has been dreamt before you ever had the idea to dream it. Every dream inside of you has been conceptualized by a good, good father. You are not having an original dream. You're having a dream that he placed in you. And that's a huge part of being a dreamer is you've got to have a belief system that knows, like, if my heart is submitted to God, my heart is good. So the, 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 the kryptonite to dreaming and being a believer. See, if you, didn't, if you weren't a believer and you were dreaming, you wouldn't second guess yourself as much. And that's a sad truth. The reason we second-guess ourselves is because we don't fully understand the goodness of God to the extent that he's good. We put a limit to his goodness, and so we constantly question our dreams because we wonder, well, is he good? And I'm going to get there because i got a story to tell. Is he, really, is he really good in this line of my life? Is he really good in this dream? Is this a lofty dream? Is this just a... We question ourselves so much because we... Because the God element... And if we didn't believe in God, we would just run. We would just go, oh, yeah, I had this dream to do this. I'm just going to do it. Why? Because we wouldn't question anything. Why would believing in God be a hobble? You know what a hobble is? You, if you hobble a horse, you, there's a chain that links around their ankles and it ties both their front feet together. Or their back. Or their one side. Like, you hobble a horse so it cannot be as powerful. It can't run away. It can't kick you. It can't buck. It can't do some things. You hobble a horse to control the horse. God isn't wanting to hobble you. He's wanting to make you realize that you haven't even tapped into the fullest potential that he's placed inside of you. We... We, we all, like, being a Christian, we toe the line of, I don't want to be prideful. I don't want to be big-headed. I don't want to be arrogant. I don't want to be all these things. I don't think, now maybe this isn't for everybody, but I don't think a majority of us have to deal with pride. I think a majority of us have to deal with self-doubt. Like, you're a long way from pride when you're doubting what he's already put inside of you. Self-doubt's the flip side of the same coin of pride. Self-doubt would make it all on you. Instead of just going, God, <laughs> you're crazy. And I'm in for the ride. Like, you don't control the roller coaster. You just make sure your seat's buckled, right? This is what it is to dream with God. So when I first went to first year in the year 2000, something, 2000, was it? Yeah. 2000, I always question that because it was 20 years ago. Um, <laughs> I still feel young. My hair is telling a different story. That's why I cut it off. <laughs> in the year 2000, they did this thing with us in first year BSSM out in Reading. So if you don't know my story, I was a drug dealer, screwed up, suicidal, got saved, Christian girl, across the street, invited me to church, had an encounter with God right before that. Crazy, crazy story. Went to school and ministry nine days later, and uh, 
that was fun. I know, we were like, I wouldn't even accept me in some of the schools that I've taught in. I wouldn't accept me. <laughs> they accepted me and said, we've never accepted anyone like you before. Why not accept me? Accept is a strong word. Uh, I wouldn't think someone like me would be ready. So I would <laughs> encourage them to take other routes in some of the schools I taught in. Now, I just came from a school where we would gladly accept you. Um, and we're in one that's freaking amazing. So, uh, yeah. So anyway, so I start school ministry. I'm on probation because they're like, we don't know what to do with you. You're crazy and wild, but you also say you love Jesus. My whole interview consisted of me crying for an hour, and they gave me a box of Kleenex, and I think I used it all. And I didn't have any word, real words that could come out because my throat didn't work, and my mouth couldn't talk because my throat wasn't working because it was like, <laughs> and I cried. I cried a lot. And that was my interview. And then they put me on probation. The beginning of school, they started doing things that were normal for Christians, uh, like supernatural things that were normal for supernatural Christians. I just got saved. It was all so new to me. So they're like, they're like you're going to prophesy over yourself. I'm just now barely learning what prophecy is, right? They're like, you're going to prophesy over yourself. They gave us two hours. They sent us out into the woods around Bethel. They're like, go find a quiet spot, you and the Lord. And I'm like, to do what? And I'm thinking... How prideful is this? We're going to prophesy over ourselves. Like, I'm a brand new Christian. I'm thinking, this is weird. Who wants to like, oh, yeah, sure. I'm going to prophesy over myself. I'm so amazing. One day I will be the president. And if not, it will be because people don't see the greatness in me. I'm like, what do you write? You know, like, is that just weird? It felt weird to me. It felt weird to me because I was not in a place where I was fully receiving love yet. I wasn't in a place where I could see, like, dad dotes over me. Like, I wasn't in a place where I could see that he, it's so important for you to believe in God, but it's so important for you to know that God believes in you. Oh, but that's prideful. Well, actually, it's prideful to think that he would create something that he couldn't believe in. It's really ridiculous to think that he would create something that's so flawed and so ridiculous that he'd be like, oh, they're, they're not going to make it. It's actually, it's actually called faith to be able to believe in the fact that God believes in you because he created you great enough like he put enough into you you weren't the leftovers on the factory floor that he's like i'll just send it through half price you know like you were the best you were the finest he is a craftsman and he slowed down and spent time on you it's important to know that you believe in god come what may but it's also important to know that god believes in you he believes in he sees you he sees the potential he sees the individuality, like you were not made on a, a, a factory floor with a processing system that sent you down the, you know, little rolly things, and I'm losing my vocabulary, but that is not how you were made. Conveyor, thank you. You were handcrafted in the presence of family, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And your life had a spark when he breathed his breath into you. It's beautiful. He believes in you. So I'm, I'm on this experience where I'm like, oh my gosh, how do I do this? I'm going to go out and prophesy over myself. I spend the whole two hours sitting in silence. Trying. Like you could, if you could... I, I bought a drill from Harbor Freight, and it's made for concrete. And the first time I used it, I went to go into the concrete with it, and it was like, Nyeh! 
and then the little wires inside, I could see them sparking, and then smoke came out the side. So I'm like, well, that lasted half of a hole. And uh, that's how my brain was when we were out there. I was like that drill, trying to go through concrete. I'm like, I, I'm prophesying over myself. <laughs> and if you could see, like, the inner workings, it was like... <laughs> and that's what was happening. Two hours we spent out there. Uh, at the very end of the two hours, I heard the Lord say this. And it was so far from my mind, which is why I knew it was the Lord. It was so far, it was so opposite of my inner belief system that I knew it was the Lord. He said, you are my golden arrow, straight and true. And I said, But the reason I would do that is because I, I, I didn't cry for years before I got saved. Like, could not, would not, should not. And, uh, and now, and I still, I just cry all the time. So I'm like, dang it. Here it goes again. Like, my tear ducts were sore from, not sore like rub sore, like sore like, I think there's a muscle in there that hadn't been worked for so long. Sore like workout sore. My tear ducts were working out constantly. And I'm like, oh. so I had to write it down. So I write down one sentence, you are my golden arrow, straight and true. I come back to class, and everybody's got like five, six, eight, 12 pages of like handwritten, like number 12 font <laughs> of their greatness. And they're like, who wants to share? And I'm like, tucked mine behind my back, you know? And everybody starts, well, everybody, a few people start sharing, because it was so long that they read the whole thing, and you're like, Wow. The rest of us can just retire because they're going to do everything. We don't have to do anything. The whole world's going to get saved, and they're going to be rich, and <laughs> wow. So much money you get to give away $100,000 a day to people. You just get, wow, that's a cool word. Anyway, <laughs> it's true, though. That's the kind of words that came true. And, uh, and every one of them were his favorite, and I'm like, Wow. Where's that leave me? And, and you don't understand that as an orphan, what it means for everybody to be his favorite. You're like, oh, where's that leave me? Because it's a, <clears throat> there's only so many pieces of this pie. So I had this, and then they called on me. They're like, Scott, why don't you share? And thank God I got a sentence. Or I would have been like, the Lord calls me a blank canvas in which he will use the brush of life. And you know what I mean? Like, what would I, what would I do or say? I would have been like, yeah, so anyway, it was a lot like theirs where, you know, like $100,000 a day, I just get to give it away because I got so much money. So I get up and I'm like, how am I supposed to read this? I cry a bunch. And I'm like, I was so embarrassed to read it because it, it didn't fit how I felt inside. Now I have it tattooed on my body. I have it right here. If you don't like tattoos, I'm sorry. <laughs> you probably won't like me. Um, so I write this thing down and that was my first experience with dreaming with God. Not for survival, but for like, that's extra. That's above survival. That's like, there's a depth to that that completely wrecked my mind, my heart, my soul, my spirit, my everything. And so that happened. And then 2001, I, w I was in second year, and they sent us out again. And this time, they were going to step it up. So now I've grown as a son a bit. And they said, okay, we're going to send you out to dream. And we want you to ask God to give you a picture of the greatest dream on your life, like what he's placed on your life. For 90% for of you, it'll be something you've never even considered before. And I'm like, yeah, because <laughs> I was just like, yeah, we made it through a year. Um, 
And so we go out, and I sit down. I felt like I was supposed to go to the, there's a prayer chapel at Bethel, and there's this huge line, and I felt like I was supposed to sit in front of the line and lean against the line and look out over this field. There's like a hill and a field. So I look out over this field, and I sat there for two hours. And uh, sure enough, it was a quiet two hours. It was a good two hours. It was a quiet two hours. And then all of a sudden, I had an open vision. Uh, Open vision, meaning I saw it with my physical eyes. Um, closed vision would be I saw it in the imagination of my mind, right? So an open vision, which, wow. Um, all of a sudden, I was on the hill. I was looking down at the biggest white tent I'd ever seen in my life. I think maybe I've told this story here before. But this tent was huge. I thought maybe it was a half mile by a half mile, like so big. Uh, that doesn't even exist. That's the biggest tent ever. And all these strobe lights, and it was it was evening now. Like in this vision, it was evening, and there's these big, huge strobe lights going up into the sky. You know when they do like a big event and they put those up, the bat signal? that Those things were in the sky, and it was this whole thing. And out of the woods came all these youth pouring into this tent, youth after youth after youth. Um, at the time, I hadn't really spoke anywhere. I spoke for a preaching elective, and then I was sick, and they picked me to be the speaker to speak in front of all of Bethel because none of them wanted to do it, and I hated speaking, and I said I'd never do it, and then the Lord said, you're going to speak, and then I was like, oh, and then he's like, you're going to speak, and I kept getting words about it, so I was like, fine, and I spoke at Bethel, and I almost died, and my, <laughs> you know, at weddings when they tell you not to lock your knees, oh, <laughs> It don't matter what you do. If they put you up in front of Bethel and you don't want to do it, you can't do anything right not to pass out. I was up there like, okay. And you know, it would have been the best thing is they would have been like, more, Lord, because I would have been like, bam. They would have been like, fire, God, fire. And I would, it would have been okay, except if I cracked my head open, then they would have been like, oh. So dry mouth, collar, clock ticking, the whole thing, right? So I'd never really spoke before, and it, I, I'm looking at this tent, and there's thousands of youth, and I said, and I knew that I was going to have to speak at it, and I was like, <gasps> and I'm like, Lord, what is that? And he gave me two words. He said, youth explosion, and I was like, what the heck? So on my paper, instead of six pages of writing, I literally drew a circus tent with little strobe lights going up off each side. And uh, above it wrote Youth Explosion. That's what I wrote, Youth Explosion. And they called on me again. Why? There's so many other people in the class. So they called on me. So I told them, this is what I saw. There were thousands of teenagers going into this tent, and it was a youth explosion. And at the time, I thought, that's the biggest dream on my life. Like, there were probably five or 6,000 youth packed into this tent. And I thought, that will be the arrival of my life. That will be like my lifelong work will get me to this place where that youth explosion, I don't know how to get, I don't know how to buy a tent that big. I don't even know that they make them that big. I don't know if it's code that you can stick 5,000 teenagers in, 6,000 teenagers in a tent. Is there code? Like there's got to be a safety code, like a health and safety code would probably tell you, eh, probably not teenagers, not a good idea. But this is what my biggest dream was in my life. And, and, I, and I was like, oh, I'm not big enough for that dream. And so I got a job youth pastoring, and I told the Lord, God, I just suck at speaking. I can't do it. I, I can't think. I don't have any vocabulary. I'm really uncomfortable. I stress every time I throw up before I go to church because I know I'm going to be speaking. I don't sleep the night before. Like this, this trajectory has me dying at 24 because 
or just like being extremely thin like a runner, which I don't have legs, but um, so whatever. That's not going to work either, God. So I'm like, God, this can't keep happening. I can't keep. And he said, if you can speak at the ten, to the 10 in youth group like it's 10,000, when you get up in front of the 10,000, you'll feel like you've done it 10,000 times. And so he gave me vision for my youth group, which was 10 kids. And we we're like, we're going to take over the world. And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, 10 every time, 10, 11, 7, because it's youth group, and then like 15, and then 2. One week, you have two after your biggest week, and you're like, I quit. And he's like, speak to the 10 like it's 10,000. And when I put you up in front of 10,000, you'll feel like you've done it 10,000 times. So I did that. I started speaking in front of our 10 kids, and it grew, and it, it, we started, we did take over the high school and the junior high, like, we had, like, a, a, literally had, like, a few percent of the population of our little town we lived in coming to our youth group. Well, that's pretty cool, right? Like, it was, like, 3% or something. I don't know what it was. Maybe more. I don't know. It was awesome. So we got all this favor, and every time I get up, I would speak like I was speaking to 10,000. I mean, like, when you need a microphone for 10 people, it's because the Lord told you to, because otherwise, because you can't speak without a mic to 10,000, so I thought, I better get good on this thing. So now it just sticks to my chin. It's like super glue. I, it, it doesn't move. My hand moves. It just stuck there. It just can't get it done until I'm done. So this is, so I would speak to the 10 like it was 10,000, and then pretty soon, uh, I was going with Jesus culture all over the, all over the planet. And I got to speak in some crazy, amazing places to some crazy, amazing people. And, the, and Banning is, is a crazy person who would put me, someone who didn't want to speak, up in front of thousands of people and say, go get them. And I'd be like, wait, me? Like he did, and he doesn't give you war- warning. Like you don't get an advance notice on your speaking time. He's just like, hey, you're on today. And I'm like, for what? And he's like, there's a bunch of people out there waiting for you. And I'm like, when? Oh, right now, they didn't tell you? No. And he's like, well, have fun. I believe in you. And you're like, no, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) So I got to, like, start to experience what it was like to speak in front of bigger crowds, bigger crowds. And um, I I went to uh, New York was crazy. I was at a Reinhardt Bonnke uh, deal. I don't know what it was called. School of Evangelism. So it's 100 people in a room with Reinhardt Bonnke. It's like this section right here in a room as big as this section with Reinhard Bonnke, who speaks in front of like millions, and then he steps in a room with a hundred, and you're like, the room's not big enough, because he steps in, and you're like, uh-oh, he, you had to be there. He's a nut, so he's, he was, he's an absolutely amazing man, and just so honored to be able to spend some time with him, but I went straight from that school, like four days with Reinhard Bonnke to Jesus Culture New York, and that was insane, and I I got up on the stage, and it was like not very many, seven or 8,000 people, so that, which was a lot, but uh, I went to Jesus Culture Chicago, and it scared the heck out of me, 17,000 people, and I kept telling the Lord, I can't, I'm not the guy, God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, any of you that'll listen, I'm not the guy, I am not the guy, like one of them would side with me, because that's how that works. I'm not the guy. I'm not, some people got that. I'm not the guy. I can't get up in front of that many people. Do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to forget everything, and I'm just going to stand up there. You know how awkward it is to have the guy that's supposed to speak in front of 17,000 people just stand there because you realize, like, oh, he wasn't ready for this. I'm not the guy. I'm not the guy. I'm scared to death. I'm not the guy. Not only that, I get to speak right after Reinhard Bonnke. Yeah, thank you. That's how I felt. 
Banning's like, who cares? And I'm like, uh, you do. That's why you're not speaking after him. Mr. You make the schedule. I know who cares. You cares. And I cares. And, jeez. Uh, so I'm, I'm getting ready to go on the stage and, uh, and worship before I speak. I just kind of speak in tongues the whole time because uh, that's just what me and God do together. And it just prepares my spirit and my mind gets in track with what he's saying. And so I did that and I'm like, it's not working this time. And, uh, and, and, and it's just, don't do this. If you ever get in the place where your dream puts you on the platform that God created for you, but you don't feel like you're the person that was supposed to be on the platform he created for you, don't do this. Don't turn around and look at everybody in the room. That was the worst idea I ever had. So I did that, and it was like, <gasps> and, uh, and then they invited me on the stage, and Reinhardt's coming off the stage. So I stop at the bottom of the steps, and he's coming down, and he goes, are you next? And I said, uh, yeah. And I'm like, oh, God. And he goes, it's going to be amazing. I can't wait. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> so inspiring and so nice, but like, oh no, you're staying in here? Just go to lunch or do something. Like, go be, there's a green room for you, I bet. Just go there and and turn the TV off too, because so I got up on the stage and sure enough, they hand me the microphone. I walked out on the stage. There was a bit of shock at first at the, just the, the and people have spoken in front of way bigger crowds than that. But me, 17,000, might have been 17 million. Who cares? Because you couldn't even see the people in the back. And I got up on stage, and fear tried to start from here and go to my toes. And then this lion inside of me went, <laughs> and I will tell you this, 45 minutes went by in about 90 seconds. I had 45 minutes. It went by in about 90 seconds. It felt like there was a lion inside of me that had stepped up on the platform, that it had been walking towards every day of its life. Scared the heck out of me. But when I got in the place, it felt like it went by so fast. I didn't want him to take the microphone. I could have done three more sessions of that amount of time and still not been done with what I felt like he gave me to talk about. And it felt so amazing. And it caught me off guard. And it was just like, honestly, like, I'm glad they make these things strong because I think I was squeezing this microphone. So you know the guy that the sword froze to his hand when he defended the lentils? If you don't know, David's Mighty Men, one of the guys was defending the lentils, which I'm not sure anybody would defend lentils today, but whatever. They were in a place where he needed to defend lentils, and uh, it, it, is, it is a little bean-type thing, and, uh, and so he defended them, killed like 800-something guys with his sword, and his sword froze into his hand. When I got done speaking, I was squeezing that microphone so hard that my fingers were kind of like stuck in the position of microphone for a little while after that. It was amazing. Never expected that. Went from the guy who said, I'll never speak in front of people. You put me up in front of five people, I would have a heart attack. I skipped high school every day. There was an oral presentation. I hated it. And when they surprised me, I've said this before, when they surprised me and said, okay, we're doing oral presentations, I'm like, I forgot. I'm not supposed to be here today. And I just walk out. I would literally walk out of class. Truancy people would contact me. And I'd be like, yeah, I forgot I wasn't supposed to be there that day. And they're like, why? I just, did, I just didn't want to be there. So I left. <laughs> like, that's what I would do. Don't do that, kids, if there's any kids in here. Don't ever do that. It's not a good route. You won't. You're a good kid. That's right. I hated speaking, and now I'm in front of 17,000 feeling like I don't have enough time because I was so comfortable there, and God was right. If you speak to the 10, 10,000 times, like you're speaking to 10, well, what, you know what I mean. If you speak to the 10, like you're speaking to 10,000, when you get on that platform, you'll feel like you did it 10,000 times. I felt so at home up there. It was absolutely insane. 
So keep going, keep going. In 2015, um, I got invited to speak in New Zealand at a new youth conference. So I went out to New Zealand, spoke at a youth conference, um, a couple youth conferences, and I had one off day. So it was like a nine-day trip. So speaking for nine days straight, like two to three times a day, it's insane, right? You're speaking a lot. At that time, I was speaking full-time. Um, so it wasn't a big deal because it was just like, you know, you got a thousand pages of notes, just start somewhere and go. And so I'm speaking at these youth conferences. We have one day off, and I'm looking forward to this day off. And I'm like, we're going to have a day off, yay. And they're like, hey, there's this huge youth conference here, which that kind of stuff doesn't impress me. The, uh, the, the invitation to get in front of young hearts and watch them see the goodness of God impresses me. But numbers don't impress me. I could care less. I don't care at all. Um, I'll speak in front of five and be happy. I'll speak in front of 5,000 and be happy. I don't care. They said the biggest youth conference in all of New Zealand is happening this weekend. They had one of their speakers get sick and drop out, and they heard you're in town, and they want to know if you'll fill the spot. And they're like, it's 20 minutes. You speak for 20 minutes. It's timed. You have to be done. I'm like, do you know me? And um, I can't do that. And, uh, and so they're like, you can either have your day off. No worries. We'll go have some fun. We'll go to like this, this, this hot springs place, cool Hamner Springs. And it's really good. Um, you can do that. Or we can go and you can speak at this youth conference. And I didn't even know the name of the youth conference. I'm like, all right, cool, whatever. Um, let me think about it. So I'm like, you know what? Days off are good, but how often are you in New Zealand and God put a gift on your life? And even if there's one kid there that throws away a suicide note or gets rid of a razor or drops their drugs or gives their life to Jesus or just realizes that he actually loves them, then let's do it. So they're like, there's about seven or 8,000 kids there, and it's a crazy thing. You, you wait till you see it. So I'm like, all right, cool. So we get in the car, and we drive to this youth conference on the day off. We get there, and it's a full-on carnival. I'm like, what the heck? Ferris wheels, uh, mud, like two feet deep in a rugby field. These kids, it was crazy. Like, kids would belly flop and disappear in the mud. Like, you're like, oh, no. Um, catering tents everywhere with all these things, like crazy stuff. Rides, you know, the, the gunny sack slide, you know, the, the potato sack slides, you know, those, all, all these things. Live concerts happening in multiple places all at once. You're like, what is this? It's so muddy because it had been raining. They gave us rubber boots. Like they, they furnished rubber boots. They found out my size and had rubber boots waiting for me there. I'm like, so I had cool rubber boots to wear so we didn't ruin our and so we're walking through we spend all day there and I'm speaking in the evening 20 minutes and they said okay it's time to go and I'm like cool let's go where do we go I thought it was on one of those little concert stages. they said oh no uh, we meet in a tent on the back of the property and they said it's actually the largest tent in the whole uh, what is that eastern hemisphere the largest tent in the whole eastern hemisphere we own it and I'm like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> right over this guy's head. That was 15 years ago, you know, 14 years ago. I'm like, okay, cool. And so we come over, and I walk up over this hill, and I sat in front of the lion because it was on the hill over the field at Bethel, and this exact thing happens. I walk up over this hill, over this field, all these young people pouring into this tent that looks like it's a half mile wide by a half mile wide. It is so 
big, it is unbelievable, and they have these huge strobe lights going up into the air like this, and I'm like, I feel like I've seen this before. <laughs> no joke, it's so dense sometimes, it's like an armor plate right there, things go you know, you can shoot a bear, if it's charging, you can shoot it right in the head, and it'll go and bounce off its skull, and it'll still eat you. Well, I'm like less of a bear and more of the skull, and it, you, this boom, bounces right off. I'm like, this looks so familiar to me. I know I haven't been here before. And I go, the guy that puts the whole thing on, uh, which is the head of their whole national youth everything, I look over at him, and I'm like, I never asked, what is this called? And he goes, what? This is youth explosion. And I'm like, what did you just say to me? This is a youth explosion. And I'm like, I'm going to need a minute. Because the culmination of my entire life just came down to the fact that the thing that I thought was the biggest dream in my entire life was a blip on the map because it was just an extra 20 minutes added to a conference schedule that was already full on a day off that I had the right to say yes or no to, which, by the way, you, you do in all of life. God doesn't say you have to, like he gives you choice, which is amazing and beautiful and brilliant because he's that wise and give you a choice and you still fall right into the perfect plan that he has for you. I'm like, this is a blip on the map. When I was in second year, I thought that'll be the biggest thing I ever do in my life. And at this moment, speaking in front of 8,000 kids at that time in my life was a once a month thing at least. And it was just normal, regular. Now, I'm just so glad I don't do that anymore. Well, pardon me. I, I shouldn't say I'm so glad because it'll start happening a lot again. Um, I'm just joking. But it was happening so often that it was literally exactly what it was. It was an addition to an already full schedule that I just said, yeah, sure, let's do it. And the idea behind it was, well, if one kid gets impacted, then awesome. And it was the biggest dream I ever had 14 years before that. And now I just got to stride through it. 20 minutes. Do you know how much I had to control myself to stick to their time limit? 20 minutes? I had 20 minutes. I'm like, I'll tell a story. One story. Most of it. And it will be done. Here we go. Like, it was so easy. And it was packed full of kids. It was an amazing time. Completely impactful. Like, kids got rocked. There was a kid, bunch of kids got saved. Tons of kids got healed of crazy things. The Lord, the Holy Spirit moved through this tent. And kids were getting healed of things that no one prayed for. There was it was insane, but in 20 minutes, it was unbelievable. But honestly, it was not the biggest thing I've ever done in my life. It was awesome. It was absolutely absurd how cool it was. But it, it got me thinking, like, Lord, the thing that you blew my mind with, you cherry-picked out of the whole bucket one cherry. And I was like, God. What is the biggest dream on my life? And he's like, let's go for obscure here. He, he's like, oh, there's a good one. He's like, here, take that for now. And I'm like, oh, say it ain't so. And he's like, it's so. <laughs> and I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I can't ever do that. And he's like, we'll get you there, you know. And, and I'm looking at this cherry, and I'm like, 
this is the biggest thing I've ever seen. He's like, I know. <laughs> and you know God's got to laugh at us. He's got to look at you and go, that's cute. I was blown away by this. And after it happened, I was like, are you serious? That thing's been a, uh, that thing's been a flag on the hill. On the route of my life. I don't even know how to buy a tent that big. <laughs> I didn't need to. <laughs> I'm thinking through things like, oh my gosh, I don't want to be that guy. Do you know how much intensive, like administrative skills it would take to put something like that together? I'm not him. I couldn't administrate myself out of a wet paper bag at that point in my life. Like, it would have been insane. And he's like, here, I'll give you one. It's the biggest dream of your life. And I'm like, oh! And he's like, yeah, this is going to be so fun. It was an addition to a full schedule. It wasn't even the biggest dream. God is a dreamer. And he is crazy. I can say that. Because what we deem sane, he's crazy. He's nuts. He's wild. <laughs> yeah, come on. He, I, look, I'm going to preach to you because you're, you're the <laughs> You give me feedback. I love that. You're, this, is like, I, I'm, this is my love language right here. He's crazy amazing. Absolutely absurd. He's reckless in the way he dreams. At least in my mind, he's reckless. He is all that a bag of chips, a little cookie at Subway, and a drink. And then, and, then, and then you go to pay, and they're like, oh, the person before you paid already. And you're like, I don't even know them. Like, that's God. That's how he dreams over you. I can't spend the amount of time on what I was going to talk about. So let me just read some stuff to you. Is that okay? This has been my chapter. Um, I'll, just, I'll do Psalm 23, 1 through 6. This has been me and God's little secret thing. This is the first time I've talked about it. But for the last... Uh, maybe six months. This has been my spot. So every time, um, Lacey and I have a, a thing where we're like, when we were so broke, we couldn't even think about doing anything cool. <laughs> like we would save money to get to the gas station, put gas back in the car, and then drive it off when we get home, you know, on the way back home. Uh, that was our big outing. And uh, <laughs> back when we were youth pastors. And, um, and so... Our thing was, anytime someone around us gets promoted, anytime someone around us gets blessed, anytime someone around us gets something that is like a dream in our heart, we're going to celebrate them like it happened to us. Because we're not going to let, you know, that stupid, uh, man, it's, it's a real waste of time and a wreck of a good life to feel jealous of other people's success. It's, 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 you know, the tall poppy syndrome is whenever there's a tall poppy, you cut it down so it won't get taller than everybody else, so then everybody's tall. That's not actually how that works. Um, and so we just decided we're going to celebrate them like, like we are so broke and living in this house. It was like more like a shed. And, uh, and yeah, we were broke and our friends got a, bought a house. And we're like, What? They just moved here, and they have the same job we have. How does this work? And we're like, you know what? That's when we decided we're going to celebrate their success like it's our own. Because it is. When the, boat, when the water rises in the harbor, all the boats rise with it. And so we, we just said, we're going to celebrate them. And so we started celebrating. From that day, we just celebrate people when they get, and it's so easy. It's just so, it's second nature. And so um, this has been my verse, though. And every time someone gets 
a promotion or something around me, uh, and it just seems like it happened so easy, which Instagram makes it look that way, but how many of you know every hour of every day ends up being 24 hours, and every day of every week ends up being seven days, and every day of every month, and every week of every month, and every month of every year, and it ends up being a lot of time that you're not seeing on Instagram where those people had to walk through stuff that they never told you about, and so you're like, oh, it happened so easy for them. Uh, I don't know, and so now I do this. This is what I say every single time something like that happens or every time I look at something and I go, oh, no, there's another expense that I just don't want. This isn't good timing. This is bad timing to have that expense pop up or, oh, gosh, the car or, oh, the or it's good or good and bad. This is what I say out loud out of my face. I was just on our property the other day and I said, the Lord is my shepherd. I will not want anything. Why? Because he supplies my every need. The Lord's my shepherd. I'm not going to be found wanting. This is just how this works. So I'm going to read this to you. It's out of the Passion Translation. I really love the Passion Translation. Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my friend and my shepherd. You got to listen to these words. I always have more than enough. He offers a resting place for me in his luxurious love. His tracks take me to an oasis of peace, the quiet brook of bliss. That's where he restores and revives my life. He opens before me pathways to God's pleasure and leads me along in his footsteps of righteousness so that I can bring honor to his name. Lord, even when your path takes me through the valley of deepest darkness, fear will never conquer me, for you already have. That's a message in itself. Fear will never conquer me, for you already have. Wow, come on. You remain close to me and lead me through it all the way. Your authority is my strength and my peace. The comfort of your love takes away my fear. I'll never be lonely, for you are near. Wow, they rhymed right there. You become my delicious feast, even when my enemies dare to fight. You anoint me with the fragrance of your Holy Spirit. You give me all I can drink of you until my heart overflows. So why would I fear the future? For your goodness and love pursue me all the days of my life. Then afterwards, when my life is through, I will return to your glorious presence to be forever with you. They rhymed a lot in that. Is that beautiful? So I keep that in my heart and right now, because I have a dream right now that we're following. This was, this was a big chunk of the dream right here, but I have another dream that we're following. <clears throat> and I keep this in front of me, and every time that that dream looks too big, I say, God, you're my shepherd, and I won't be found wanting. And I remind my heart. See, I used to, as a young Christian, remind God of his promises Anybody ever do that? You remind God of his promises like, oh, he needs us to remind him. God, you said that you would heal. You said, God, you would never leave us or forsake us. God, I'm feeling alone now. You said that. That's your promise, God. And we would, you know, ever, anybody ever do that? Now, when I was a young Christian, I used to do that a lot. And now I realize that, oh, I need to remind myself, not God. He's not forgotten anything. And so I'm saying it to remind myself, God, you're my shepherd and I won't be found wanting. You are good to me. And if you have to, recite the goodness that you've experienced through your life with him. Like, God, remember when that happened? Oh, yeah. Remember when that? Oh, yeah. I have a dream right now, and it is to be a farmer. (laughs) It's funny to say. I love saying it, though. Farmer Scott, that's what Lacey says. I have a dream, and it's a dream that I've had since I was a kid, and I never, ever, ever thought it could happen. Because first of all, you have to come from, uh, ranchers say this, if you don't come from it or marry into it, you'll never have it. That means if you don't come from land, 
You don't marry into land, you're never going to have land, at least to, to ranch on. And so I always believed that thing. And I grew up in a, a humble family, the Thompsons, humble country folk. I mean, like hardworking people. And so I thought, wow, that would be cool one day. In my mind, I thought, man, if I was born into a different family, then, which is bad to say, if I was born into a different family, that dream could actually take place. But me, probably not going to happen. And so I always had this in the back of my mind. Like me and Lace would sing that song, that country song, way back when we first got married. We're going to live where the green grass grows and watch our corn pop up in rows every night, be tucked in close to you. Come on. And, uh, and I just thought, dude, rocking chairs on the porch, old people, like... Uh, real old, older than anybody in here. When I say old, I mean older than anybody in here. But just being old and rocking on the porch in the corns out there, and uh, come on, this is beautiful, right? I had a vision uh, when, when we were in Rio Del, when we were first youth pastors, and I was pulling up to a house, and my son was driving away from the house in a Toyota truck, and I was pulling up to a house that was surrounded in tall grass, and it was a white house, and my wife was in a sundress right outside the house in the garden when I pulled up. And I thought, wow, look how beautiful she is. And my son, who was young at the time, drove by me as a young adult in a Toyota truck. And I was like, hey, have a good day. And we passed each other on the little driveway on the way in and out. And he drove by. Well, the craziest thing ever, both of my boys in this last year have owned, Judah still does, have owned silver Toyota trucks. Uh, Oren was four when I had that dream. Now he's 24 20 years later, and um, we're in the process of buying uh, 30 acres south of here um, of forgotten land with a 1925 farmhouse on it that was also a forgotten house <laughs> with a forgotten well, let me tell you, and, uh, and forgotten electricity <laughs> and a forgotten foundation and a forgotten driveway because <laughs> there wasn't one in and forgotten a lot of things were forgotten on this property. It was not forgotten. It was, it was left aside for me. Yep. So I have this dream to be a farmer. I never, ever, ever thought that it would ever be a thing. Uh, I always thought, you know, that's for other people. But if I was born into another family, that would be for me. Um, but, man, that would be cool. And I uh, always put it to the side. And in the last four years, I always thought, I'm going to do ministry full time, which is the truth. Life is ministry. Um, and I thought, you know, it would be completely selfish to think of doing something else because that's just ridiculous. And in the last four years, God has wrecked my thinking around that. And he has poured out favor on something that I thought was a selfish dream. And we started in California with three acres on a hillside of mud. And these guys know they bought eggs from us. I had a lucrative under-the-table egg business in California. <laughs> Sold it to all of our students. Uh, but he started to just wreck my heart with the fact that he was giving me permission to dream outside of the thing that I thought he'd lock me into. I'm here, if you hear anything this morning besides God is a dreamer, God is dreaming the dreams that he's put on your heart. And your heart lines up with those dreams. That's why he put them on your heart. He didn't pick a dream that didn't fit you and say, hey, David, put on Saul's armor. This will work for you. He picked a dream that would fit you, and that's why that thing leaps inside of you. That's why that thing leaps inside of you guys. And that's why you guys keep plowing and keep plowing and keep plowing because you can see the harvest in here. And come on, keep plowing because he saw the harvest out there. Remember the whole thing? Like, hey, 
preach in front of the 10 like it's 10,000. When you get up in front of 10,000, you'll be, feel like you've done it 10,000 times. Well, I just want to say, like, you guys dream, and you keep writing, and you keep doing, like, it's the thing, and, and, and the excellence of it, and watch what happens with it. Like, I know people, oh, hi, I just tripped over you and your chair. I know people in here that are dreamers, and they're, and they're doing this stuff. I want to encourage you, keep moving forward. I'm at the beginning of a dream that felt scary to me, and I'm at the beginning of a dream that felt selfish to me, farming, but now I'm starting to see the Lord in it, and I'm starting to see the Lord's pleasure in it, and I'm starting to see the Lord's pleasure in the fact that I get to take care of the land and restore the land. And we're not going to do uh, conventional farming. We're going to do restorative farming. We're going to do uh, a kind of farming with rotational grazing where we build soil instead of deplete soil. And we build people instead of deplete people. And we offer pure food that is really good for people and our family and, and all this stuff. And so there will be a second part to this. But I'm in the beginning of something that I felt was crazy. And the Lord is blessing every step of the way. We started on three acres. I got to be done. We started on three acres acres in California, and we got some chickens. We got enough chickens to lay enough eggs for us to eat eggs for most of a week. And then someone called me and said, I got 25 chickens that are egg layers, and I want you to have them. And I was like, well, it started with a goose named Scary Larry, the guard goose. We thought he was... We called him Lucy because we thought he was a girl. He just hadn't matured yet, and then he matured, and we're like, oh, you're not a girl. You're a guy. So then we were like, Larry, but then he had a chip on his shoulder, and so he had to be Scary Larry the guard goose because he was so ticked about being called Lucy for a year of his life. And uh, he, he, knew, he knew what gender he had chosen. It was the one he was born with, and he was mad that we chose Lucy for him. And so it started with a goose named Larry, and then it went to six chickens that we raised in a garage and then until they were old enough to go outside, and then someone gave us 25 chickens. Then we had more eggs than we knew what to do with, and then the Lord challenged me. I want you to think of six different streams of income that you could start dreaming around right now, and I'm like, that's crazy. Where I was, that just wasn't practical, and I'm like, okay, so I start dreaming around it, and that leads me to YouTube, and I start studying farming, and I've spent hundreds of hours on YouTube studying farming. I could tell you things about nematodes and fungi and all these things that are in the soil and the fact that in one tablespoon of soil there are more living organisms than all of this planet of people combined and I could tell you about why the, the soil is like our gut where it has all this flora and bacteria in it that keeps it alive and when your gut's healthy you're healthy. I could tell you why the soil's healthy and what it takes and what it needs to be healthy without fertilizers and inputs that are chemicals and nasty things because that's what's killing us and I could tell you all these things. Why? Because I spent hundreds of hours because this dream has captured my heart, and God's in it. And some people go, a farmer? And I'm like, yeah, a farmer. Is that cool? Because I was born to be out in the dirt. It's in me. And it's the beginning of a dream. And I thought, God, this is crazy. This dream will never work. It started scary. Larry went on to chickens, and then we raised some hogs. And those hogs were fed with free way from a cheese factory that I didn't even know anybody at, but someone came up to me and said, hey, I got my brother-in-law runs the cheese factory, and he said, if you come, he'll give you way for your pigs. It's supposed to be really good for him. I'm like, way would be the absolute amazing thing, because we didn't feed our pigs like GMO or Roundup ready stuff. We fed them all organic, and that's really expensive. And we thought, man, this is really expensive, but we're going to do it. And then all of a sudden, I'm getting organic whey from the best cheese factory in the place. And I went to him, and I said, how much could I have? I'm thinking I'm going to get like a 50-gallon drum. They said, well, how much can you take? We have 100,000 gallons a week. And I'm like, and it's all organic? He's like, yep, it's golden way. Lolita golden way. And I'm like, Ugh. so I got these huge bins, tubs, and I borrowed a trailer, and I burned the axle out on the trailer. That was fun because it was so heavy because I got these big, they could hold 400 gallons each, and I would pick up 800 gallons of whey. 
hot steaming whey right out of the factory. And I would feed my pigs this. And when we processed our pigs, they said, everybody that touched those pigs from the, the everybody, the, the, everybody involved in, from a pig going from being our friend to our food, um, they said these are the most amazing pigs we've ever seen, the highest quality pork we've ever seen. The bacon was the best bacon I've ever tasted in my life. Uh, we had a local farm that I decided, I, I got to be done, so I'm just going to add these few things. Um, in your dreaming, one of the keys to dreaming, find somebody that's doing what you're doing and serve them. So I thought, I'm, I want to do this. I can't afford to do it, so I'm going to serve a local farm. So I found a local farm that was doing exactly the way that I wanted to farm right down the road from me. I called them. I didn't see that they had full-time interns, that, that like they have an interview process and everything. I skipped all that. I just found their phone number and called them. I said, hey, it might be crazy. I don't know if you accept people to do this, but I'd love to come out and just intern for you. Work for free to learn, and I'm a hard worker. I'll work my butt off. And they're like, well, we have a whole intern program. I'm like, oh, I did not realize that. It was right under the number. Uh, I just didn't read that far. I got so excited. And the lady said, you know what? My husband gets home tomorrow. Why don't you come out Friday? If you work good with us, then you can keep coming out. I hung up the phone. I started crying. Because I thought, God, you might actually be in this one. And I went to their farm on Friday. They said, we love you. We want you to come back as much as, you, as much as you want to. When we got in my car to drive home, I started crying. I'm like, God, really? And I served every single Friday from the time the sun came up until I was dragging myself home on Fridays because Friday was my day off. And I served every single Friday, and I learned so much, and I made great friends. And you know what they did? They hired me to raise their turkeys for them for Thanksgiving. And so we got to raise turkeys on our land and sell them to all their customers. And we made, uh, it was just awesome and all this stuff. And it was the beginning of a dream. And I'm going to pick up with number two. Uh, uh, I'm going to pick up with a, a second. Um, this will be a little series on dreaming. But I want to encourage you today that dreams are from him. He is the dreamer. You are a dreamer. It is not selfish to dream things that make you get excited. A heart that is laid down before the Father is a heart that's ready to dream. And when you dream from that place, he fulfills it in such absurd ways. I could tell you a thousand absurd things that he did. He fulfills it in such absurd ways. I want to I read this last verse. Can you stand with me? I'll read it to you while you stand. I'm going to read three verses to you. Sorry, my phone just jumped off of it. <clears throat> I'm going to read three verses to you. They're all in the same chapter of Proverbs. You can read the whole thing. But I want to read three verses that I feel like apply to you today. And I want you to take these things in. Because this is the heart of God for you. <clears throat> the plans of the heart belong to man. But the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. That's Proverbs 16, verse 1. Verse 3. Commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be established. Verse 9, the heart of man's plans, his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Listen to me. When you can start trusting God to dream crazy dreams, and you start applying yourself to those crazy dreams, and you start pouring your, your heart into it, you start planning. The Lord steps into the middle of your plans, and he arranges your steps. I already have partnerships here. I've not told anyone that I'm doing this in the area that we're moving to, but we already have partnerships here of people that are waiting for us to raise food so that we can partner with a caterer and a couple other people and even the guy that did the survey on the land. And I, I, our property, I just found out the other day, my next door neighbor is the president of the Poultry Association for the whole county and he likes me and we both hunt and we, did, we found some camaraderie there. And I'm like, Lord, you're crazy. God dreams crazy dreams over you. 
when you can submit your work to him. We, we close on Wednesday. On, yeah, on our 30 acres of forgotten land, of depleted soil, and it's going to be wonderful. And I got four posts waiting on the land, and I'm going to put those posts in at each corner, and we're going to pour a bottle of oil and a bottle of wine over each post and commit that 30 acres to God, and there's going to be fruit overflowing. I'm going to have to find people to give it to, so get ready, because we're going to have more than we could possibly deal with, and we're going to have to give it away. Some people might give away $100,000 a day. I'm going to give away food. That's just what we're going to do, and it's going to be healthy food, and it's going to be good food, and it's going to get people cured of diseases because the Lord is in it, and his hand rests on it. I grew up in a poor family. Nobody owned anything. I never thought I would own anything. Can I tell you that he is amazing? He is all that. The chips, the cookie, the drink. He is all that. And he supplies your every need. The Lord is your shepherd. You should not be found wanting. Let's start dreaming again. Some of us got dreams on shelves. Pull them off the shelf. Dust them off. Some of us got dreams hidden, hidden away in the depths of our heart. Pull them out. Talk about them. Find people you can talk about them. Study them. Serve someone who's doing it. Do something with it. Start on, get an Amazon account and start making little, little bits of it and start selling it on Amazon. Do something with the dream. This is not a time to quarantine your dreams. This is a time to fully live. Take the mask off the dream. Fully live. Shout it from the rooftops and be you. I'm telling you, something comes alive inside of you even in the scariest moments of the dream where you feel more you than you've ever been before. Keep dreaming around the dream. Come on. Let's do this thing. So I want to pray for you guys because there's, there's, there, I wrote way too much down right here. I don't usually have notes. I didn't even make it anywhere. Jesus. Ah. Jesus. God, I thank you that you are the supplier of every need, and those needs don't just have to do with survival. Those needs have to do with the overflow of your heart towards us, the thing that you created us to walk in, that we would be fruitful and multiply in those things, Lord. God, I thank you for scary Larry the guard goose that was walking down the middle of the road with cars honking at him, and my wife, as wild as she is, got out and like Dr. Doolittle and grabbed him and threw him inside our Jeep, and we drove home with him. Why? did we do that? Because that's my wife, and you created her perfect for me, God. I thank you, Lord, that Scary the Larry got us into dreaming on a level we never did. We thank you for people that don't want chickens, and they give them to you. Lord, I thank you for free way. I thank you for farms that don't have the room to raise what they can raise, what they need to raise, so they, they let young farmers who just have a dream in their heart raise it. Lord, I thank you, God, that you're in every single one of those. I thank you for the head of the Poultry Association living next door to me. God, I thank you that you're in each one of those things. God, I thank you that you're crazy and amazing. I thank you the things that we think are so big and outside of us, Lord, they fit you just right. I thank you, God, that the thing I thought was the biggest dream of my life was just a blip on the map, really. Lord, I thank you that you are huge. I thank you that any dream that is dreamt with you is a dream that should feel so much bigger than us, so much bigger than our resources, so much bigger than our abilities, God. Lord, I thank you that you are calling us to step into the unknown. I thank you that you're calling us to stand tall and be proud of the dream that you put in our hearts, to declare it for people to ask us to stop talking about it because we just can't stop talking about it. <laughs> Lord, I thank you that you had a dream. And you take those dreams and you wrap them around us. 
You are the fulfiller of every good thing in our life. You are the fulfiller of every good dream in our life. You are the fulfiller of it all. Lord, I thank you that you are a shepherd. We will not be found wanting. I'm going to end with a, a little... Bill Johnson tells the story of a mouse and an elephant that walk across the bridge. They get to the other side of the bridge, and the mouse looks back at the elephant and says, wow, we really shook that bridge, didn't we? Life with God. Life with God. Life with God. You look at your dream, and you go, I'm a mouse. And he's like, perfect. You got an elephant walking beside you. Life with God. One day that mouse was being chased by a cat and it fell into a wine barrel. Two minutes later it came out of the wine barrel and said, where's the cat? <laughs> it's life with God. He's intoxicating. He, he, he puts bravery in the place of fear. He, there's a lion inside of there and, and, it, and it comes out when you put yourself in the scary place of the dream. I want to encourage you to dream. I want to challenge you to dream. Jesus blessed the dreamers. Jesus blessed the dream. Jesus blessed the resources. Jesus blessed the partnerships. Jesus blessed the promises. Jesus blessed the prophetic words. And the words of Ray Hughes stick in there like a hair in a biscuit. If you're going to dream, you've got to learn how to stick in there like a hair in a biscuit. So God, we thank you for that. I bless every single person here, every body, every brain, every life, every family, every marriage right now in Jesus' mighty name that this would be the time of the dreamer and this would be the time of fulfillment in Jesus' mighty name, amen.